cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.net. I am one of your regular hosts, Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net, and joining me this week is a returning guest champ from the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast, Kyle Benning. Kyle, thanks for doing the show again. Hey, thanks for having me on. Before we get into what we're going to be talking about, we of course have to thank our sponsor, InStock Trades. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStock Trades is your best online search for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Kyle, what do you have? All right. Uh, for my InStock Trade ads, I have the book John Romita and All That Jazz. Uh, it comes in two different formats. There's the soft cover format, uh, which is 192 pages. Uh, the book just talks about jazzy John Romita and kind of his impact at both Marvel and DC. It's written by Roy Thomas, has some great art by John Romita, that soft cover, 192 pages. 40% off from in-stock trades is $14.97. There's also a hardcover edition that uh, includes a dust jacket, custom in leaves, plus 16 pages of extra color that's not included in the soft cover. And that hardcover at 40% off is $26.97. Good deal. I mean, you can't be John Romita, really. I mean, No, you can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, for me, um, because this episode is going to be all about Marvel's fireside collections that they did in the 1970s, I went to Insect Trades to look to see if any of them are still in print. And as far as I can tell, they're not. Unfortunately, so the only one I could find that is was a fireside book is How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way by Stanley and John Buscema uh, for many years, maybe even decades. Like this was like the one book about how to do comic books. Uh, I had it. 
Um, it was, you know, it was basically a stand, stand the man showing you how to do comics the Marvel way, how to tell stories in a marvelous, exciting way. Um, apparently, the new publisher is Two Morrows Publishing. I didn't know that, uh, but it's listed here as being from Two Morrows. The normal price is sixteen ninety five. Instruct Trades price is twelve dollars and seventy two cents. That's twenty five percent off. So th- that's like a perfect book for the budding artist in your family. If you have like a little kid, maybe he's like nine or I shouldn't say he, he or she is maybe nine or ten and they want to like start maybe drawing comics this is a perfect book to get them it's a good intro primer it's a lot of fun and on the cover you've got all the various marvel heroes uh with dr doom harumphing on the uh, corner which is fantastic so how to draw comics the marvel way for twelve dollars and 72 cents pick it up for these and all your other trade paperback needs visit instocktrades.com uh so yes as the uh, as i mentioned earlier uh earlier i mentioned just a couple seconds ago uh we are going to be it sounds like it was 10 minutes we are going to be covering some of marvel's uh and Fireside Books' 1970s collections. These were these really beloved, like the first trade paperbacks, essentially, that Marvel put out with Fireside Books in the 1970s. And there was a whole series of them. According to a website that I found about them, there were 27 different Fireside Books in all, uh, which yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know there were that many of them. Uh, DC did a couple, but they never really got into the way Marvel did. And these were really interesting, seminal collections of some of Marvel's favorite stories. And because Kyle has his uh, blog and his podcast about comics formats of all different sizes, he was super excited to talk about this when I mentioned that I was getting sort of back into these books. I had a couple of them as a kid, and I love them, and now I'm sort of going back and collecting them again. So, uh, Kyle, like, what is your memory of these? Did you have any of them as a kid? My introduction to them would have been my public library. Uh, actually, the, all four of the ones we're going to talk about tonight, they had all four of those, which were the uh, first four. So uh, I have a real fondness for early reprinted editions, uh, I guess. There's a lot of overlap there between early reprints that happen to be giant size, so it kind of hits me right in my sweet spot there. Um, obviously, DC had like the 80-page Giants, 100-page Super Spectaculars. Um, Marvel, you know, they had a, a ton of, you know, like the king-sized annuals or king-sized specials that reprinted material. Some of the giant-sized books reprinted material. And then they had things like collector's items, classics, and, uh, God, what's the other one? Uh, fantasy masterpieces that were, you know, 64-page giants that reprinted stuff. But as far as, like, the actual, you know, real thick 200-plus-page reprints, these were it here in the mid-'70s. And I guess, you know, I came across them at my public library uh, along with uh, your in-stock trades pick. Actually, uh, my public library had the How to Draw uh, Comics the Marvel Way. And so I just checked those out nonstop when I was little. Uh, I always kind of had the the secret fantasy that I hoped that if I just held on to them long enough that, and I said I lost them, <laughs> that they just let me keep them. And fine, <laughs> but that never worked. I love kid uh, logic. <laughs> my, my favorite was uh, Bring on the Bad Guys. And at one point, and I was probably eight years old at this time, I had a $30 late fee. <laughs> to so late but uh so checked them out all the time even up through high school and then eventually around that time i was able to kind of track down my own copies now so um from the actual first wave of their kind of trade paperback collections they had 11 uh, books i believe 11 or 12 and then you know they had a a ton of activity ones they had you know like the mighty marvel fun book there's even a Mighty Marvel Strength and Fitness. Yeah, and yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Mighty Marvel Cookbook. So, so all sorts of uh, obscure ones there. But um, even uh, 
the Silver Surfer collection, which I think was called the Ultimate Cosmic Experience, that was actually Marvel's first true graphic novel because it had all original material in it by Stanley and Jack Kirby. So it was just a really awesome, you know, kind of initiative. Pretty, uh, you know, groundbreaking, which is crazy to think about nowadays when, you know, everything's written for the trade and the trade edition comes out two weeks after, you know, the issue six hits the stands or whatever of an arc that, you know, besides these. And then, you know, like you mentioned, there was three uh, DC fireside books, which shout out to uh, nuclear sub uh, Russell Burbage actually hooked me up with the uh, mystery in spaces one. Uh, America so thank War, you, Russell, for yeah, that. America at War was another one. And yep. uh, the DC secret origins one. Uh, no, it was, that was a separate thing. I think. Oh, was it really? That wasn't a fireside book? Okay. No, I don't think so. The, the third fireside book, at least from what I can tell, there was only three of the fireside ones, and the third one was a, a romance one, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Which was on one of the times you'd thrown up uh, one of the cover posts on Facebook, and one of the things that was going back and forth is Michael Bailey didn't even realize that there were uh, DC fireside ones, and then he had the rarest one of all, which is that romance one. Anytime I try to find that, it seems like it's going for over $100. Yeah, so. that's, yeah that's super expensive, yeah. And I think he had that sitting on the shelf and didn't even realize it, but so I have the <laughs> other two. I don't have that one. Yeah, that Secret Origins one was kind of, I can't remember who published that, but the special one, because they also had the, you know, the Batman 30s to the 70s and the Superman 30s to the 70s, and then even a little later than there was like the, there was another Superman hardcover that, it was like the Superman great book or something the, the, like the that great, the great superman book by mcmillan publishing yeah i looked it up actually yep. yeah that you're right about the uh secret origins that was actually published by somebody called harmony Books. so yeah yeah mm. marvel really got into it i mean marvel never missed a trick uh in terms of how to exploit their stuff and you could sort of criticize them for being you know a little more schlocky than dc but at the same time they knew their audience, you know? I mean, th- like, there was something that, that I think younger fans just are never going to be able to appreciate in that, like, in an era now that libraries routinely carry trade paperbacks and you can get them at bookstores, like, having comics in a library in the 70s was rare, was very rare. And it was because these books were collected as quote-unquote real books, it gave them an air of legitimacy that, you know, the regular 35-cent, 40-cent comic did not have. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, they used to have a bookmobile come come by every couple of months, and you could buy little pocket editions of Marvel books. And I remember I bought a, a Hulk that collected a bunch of Tales, of, Tales to Astonish stories. And I was like so astonished that I could buy no pun intended that I could <laughs> that I could buy a Hulk comic book under the sort of aegis of school. You know, that like I could sit and read a Hulk comic and my school was like, That's okay. Because it was yeah. you know, because it was thick and it was published by Pocket Books, who everybody had heard of, it was considered sort of a real book. So these these fireside books were, I guess, by librarians considered I mean, they had Isbin numbers and everything else. They're real books. They just happen to be reprints of comics so it, it you know it just gave them a kind of legitimacy that that comics really don't strain for now now they just have them all the time yeah so was that the start of your passion or love of digest size comics then i have you know i don't know i mean i've always much like you i've always loved comics of just different formats it's always really tickled me and so that that might have been it i mean i uh, as kyle mentioned uh we're not going to cover all the books first of all I don't have the money to collect all 27 no. <laughs> firesides, and I don't know that I really need to own the Marvel Fitness book and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, all the cookbooks. So at the same time, uh, I wanted to make sure that we devoted some nice space to a couple of them. So we're just going to cover four books in this episode. It's going to be Origins of Marvel Comics, Son of Origins of Marvel Comics, Bring on the Bad Guys, and the Superhero Women, uh, which were, in fact, I believe the first four anyway. 
Uh, yep. oh, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. The Superhero Women came a little late. The fitness book actually came out first, but again, we're not going to be covering that one. Um, but in terms of the reprint collections, these are the first four. They are they feature all of them have painted covers by John Romita, which are just fantastic. I mean, they're just so beautiful. And, you know, again, it's neat to see the Marvel characters sort of rendered this way in a slightly more, you know, adult painterly style. I mean, Romita really could do anything. Uh, I mean, he was your Marvel go-to artist in the 70s when you needed iconic looks for the characters. You know, he was your guy. And so he, of course, was the perfect person to to do these books. So um, the first book, again, we're going to start with The Origins of Marvel Comics. It's pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, It's a collection of the origin stories plus one other story of several Marvel heroes. And in this case, you've got the, of course, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, Thor uh, and the Submariner, although it's kind of a different thing. But um, and it features a beautiful cover. And you see Stan, presumably Stanley's hands typing, uh, and it says the origins of Marvel Comics. Then you've got the characters coming out at you again, painted by John Romita. Did you? Uh, yeah. It also has the it also has the Hulk. They kind of piggyback the Hulk and the uh, Submariner together. Uh, did I mean I forgot to mention the Hulk? I thought I thought I said them all. I didn't mention the Hulk. Yes, and it's got the Hulk, of course, because uh, again he was, he was a big TV star at the time. Uh, this, I don't, I do not remember ever when I had this book, I just knew that I did. Like, I don't remember ever buying it. I guess maybe my parents found it at a bookstore for me or something, but I used to bring this with me on vacation and I just read this thing backwards and forwards a billion times. And, you know, for all the criticism that Stan Lee gets, and he does get a lot and he deserves it in a lot of ways. Um, I think one of the reasons DC never fully connected, I think with readers the way Marvel did is there was not a Stan Lee. Yeah, they didn't have that yeah. figurehead, I don't think, or that uh, kind of I mean, that face to the yeah. company. Each story of that in the collected in this book has Stan Lee giving you the backstory of how he created them and how he came up with the idea. And he's self-deprecating. I mean, it's all phony, of course, but it's it's self-deprecating, and he's very complimentary towards his artist, and he really draws you in to these stories. I mean, the idea that he wanted to quit comics just before he decided to create. You know, and like uh, create the Fantastic Four and like how Spider-Man was done as a one-off and amazing fantasy. And then they realized a couple months later, oh, my God, this was a hit. I mean, he really – I remember reading these intros just as much as I read the, the, the comics themselves. And um, it's a really remarkable book. I mean, do you ha- do you had this one, I assume, right? Yeah, this was – this probably would have been the, the second one I picked up from the library and started reading uh my first one and still my all-time favorite was the bring on the bad guys which is number three but this was right up there with it and uh, yeah that's the the intros i mean obviously when i was young uh you know the, the first time i would have picked these up i would have been around five or six so i just completely skipped <laughs> across those i probably wouldn't have known half the words in there i just wanted to get to the comics part and, right you know, right just as I got older, uh, got a, a greater appreciation and more of a fondness for uh, Stan's introductions, which, you know, that really colored my vision of Stanley as well. You know, oh, this guy's, you know, funny, he's personable, and he, like he's mentioned in the intros, he was always very complimentary of the artist. So it kind of, when you start to get into the how the sausage is made and hear about all the, you know, who created what disputes is kind of, I guess, jaw-dropping uh, to my mind because uh, he always seemed like he gave the artist plenty of credit in these uh, collected editions yeah, in the yeah. 70s, which by that time, that would have been after, you know, he'd already kind of scared off uh, Kirby and 
uh, Ditko. Yeah, it's one thing too that's just kind of neat to go back here and look at uh, all these, especially when we get into the uh, the women one. It's just the uh, how the uh, popularity of certain characters have stayed uh, throughout the years, and how other ones have completely dropped off. I mean, in this one, you know, Doctor Strange is one of their top five characters or heroes that are featured in here, which is just <laughs> kind of nuts to think about nowadays. I mean, he does have a movie coming, but. Uh, I think you pulled most people. They would say Captain America, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Wolverine, and probably Thor are the, the five head honchos nowadays. And you don't have Cap, Iron Man, or, or just Cap or Iron Man in this one. Yeah. But, uh, it's one thing you will you will notice, too, that in none of these books are there any X-Men. Yeah. Not a single uh, X-Man appears in any of these books. Uh, I believe the, the second one does. Well, that's uh, there's X-Men number one. Just the team, yeah. Yeah, the, the team itself. But it's like... Considering how huge and pretty much X-Men dominant Marvel would become, uh, it's, it's amazing to think that they're pretty much under not represented here at all. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort mean, of remarkable. It's crazy to think about until 74-ish. I mean, that series had been canceled. It had been brought back as a reprint-only right, series. Right. I mean, it was dead in the water, and that eventually became their bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. In this book, uh, they reprint uh, Fantastic Four number one. Fantastic Four number 55, which is a Silver Surfer story. The Incredible yep, Hulk. I believe that was his first appearance since the uh, Galactus trilogy ended there in FF50. So that was kind of a big deal bringing him back. Right. Uh, the Incredible Hulk number one. Uh, Incredible Hulk number 118. And, of course, Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 72, which is just sort of a random issue. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. I guess they just wanted to have a more modern story. Journey to Mystery 83, which is, of course, the first Thor story. Uh, Thor 143, and then it ends with uh, two segments from Strange uh, from a uh, uh, Strange Tales, which is the first Doctor Strange story, and then the later one, which is actually the origin of Doctor Strange. Oh, and then it actually repeats a third Doctor Strange story, which is uh, meant to just be kind of again more of a modern. You know, that w- that was an- another thing I liked about these books is that it really did give you kind of a nice history of these characters. I mean, it shows you you know kind of their I don't know. I don't mean to say this in a nasty way, but kind of their crude beginnings, and then you see how it's evolved. I mean, you look at Jack Kirby's art from between FF number one and FF fifty five. It's pretty startling. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a, a particular favorite in this one? You know, I've always been partial to Doctor Strange. I'm really happy that I'm just as a side thing. I'm really happy he's getting his own movie because I've always liked him. I always thought he was sort of like an underappreciated character. So I liked those stories, and I think as a kid. Those are the ones I had read the least because I just didn't see them reprinted. You know what I mean? Like the Hulk and Spider-Man. I'd seen those a million times. So I think it was seeing those Spider-Man stories. But that said, I, I, I think as a kid, my Marvel, my favorite, I, I always bought the Hulk comic. So I think it was neat seeing him square off against the Submariner and stuff. That was really cool. But yeah, oh, yeah I, that's, I, that's just a gorgeous story. There's yeah. so much back and forth fighting going on in Atlantis there between Submariner and Hulk. Yeah, so it's a really, really handsome collection. And it's probably the one fireside book that if anybody owns, this is the one they're going to own. I think it was the one that sold the best and it stayed in print for many years i mean i remember i've seen it with multiple covers so you know marvel has spit this out pretty often because again it's you know it's their 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 core characters for many many years plus as you would say and dr strange um but uh yeah it really is said it's a really beautiful book and it just it said it's it's it, it's Stan Lee treating these things like they're worthy of respect, which, you know, in 1976, 77, when they published this, that was still in pretty short supply, you know, treating these superhero stories as if they had any sort of, you know, historical, you know, weight to them or anything like that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was really neat to see uh, that last uh, 
Dr. Shereen's story was uh, actually Marie Severin uh, did the art on it, which I think she's just an incredibly underrated artist yes. uh, from yeah. Marvel at this time. I love all her work. Um, but there's a lot of content there in the, those early Doctor Strange stories. I think they were five pages each, and and some of those uh, Ditko had you know nine panels, and so you kind of have uh, him really trying to flesh out the character. He's not able to really kind of develop that magic language that he would eventually have, kind of that visual language to convey magic that he'd get later on. And so it's really kind of see neat to see just kind of that character grow. And then when we get to the uh, the third book, there's more Doctor Strange in there, and you really see Ditko come alive as an artist there when he gets more room, uh, higher page count uh, to work with the character. I think my favorite one in this one, I just think the, the art looks the best. I think it's some of Jack Kirby's finest art ever is the uh, Thor story from 143, The Enchanters, which mm-hmm. would have been 67. So by that time, the Marvel Universe is... Uh, pretty fleshed out and bill everett the uh, creator of the submariner was actually his anchor on that one and that is just a fantastic art combination there i really enjoy that one yeah it is it is really very beautiful i mean said so kirby at kirby in the late 60s was firing on all cylinders you know he hadn't hadn't you know burn had his, him and stan i guess presumably were still getting along and they were really in full swing, and you can just see it there. I mean, it just the, the the amount of sort of energy pouring off the page. And that's the other thing too is it's this is really the first time any sort of Marvel stories appeared on nice paper. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> just pop. In this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said it's and and you know the cover price was six ninety five, which nowadays feels <laughs> like nothing. Uh, but uh, you know, I guess back then when comics were still thirty five cents or something, it seemed like a hefty price tag. I would love to know how many. How well this sold. I mean, obviously, Marvel and Fireside did 27 books together. These must have been pretty big hits. Yeah, and, I mean, you mentioned the the multiple printings. I have a, a hardcover, so I'll, it doesn't say anything about uh, what print run it is inside it, so I assume it's a first print. Um, but I, I've seen ones on eBay that are listed as high as fifth prints, so I don't know if that was the last one or if they got any higher than that. Hmm. I think those would be in the, the trade paperback because uh, typically they did like a, a trade cloth hardcover with a dust jacket and then right. also a, a trade paperback version. And This is the only one I have the hardcover of. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and they did do a, um, a slipcase edition of Marvel of the Origins and Son of Word. Uh, oh yes, yes they did. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen that, and I don't have any great interest in purchasing it because I have both books. But yeah, they did do that. They did put out. I, I did come across one on eBay one time, and that got out of my price range uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the uh, this one has kind of been reprinted by uh, Marvel in the '90s, which at that point. They changed a little bit of the content. They still had a lot of the stories. I think they pulled some out, added some, and then, uh, as was typical, both Marvel and DC in the 90s, whenever they had trade paperback collections, they trimmed the stories a little bit, cut out panels to squeeze everything into the, the page count. So oh, man. It was a changed uh, version oh, of this one. Yeah, I think, is... I think uh, Bring on the Bad Guys, Son of Origins, and Origins all got 90s trade paperback releases. But I never yeah, liked my... that when, they, when, when DC or Marvel futzed with reprints. I never oh, liked my... that. My my first experience with that would have been the uh, funeral for a friend. I had all the issues, and I picked up the first printing of the trade paperback of that. And I was like, wow, there's parts missing of this. And then a couple of years later when they released the full thing that hadn't been cut, it's almost twice as thick. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, for years you could not find a reprint of the first Aquaman story that doesn't end with a little tag saying, read Aquaman in adventure comics. And you're like, that's not historically accurate. It was read Aquaman in more fun comics. But back then, by the time they were reprinting it, more fun had been canceled, and Aquaman was an adventure. But they don't, and they and the gloves are colored green. I'm like, damn it, just 
I'm a, I know I can handle this. Just show me the yellow gloves for Pete's sake. <laughs> so the next book uh, we're going to talk about is Son of Origins. I think you can figure out where they came out with that title. Uh, basically, it's just, you know, I don't want to say the B team, but it kind of is a little bit, at least in, in, uh, in the time that this was printed. Uh, this was a little bit of the B team. And this features the origins of the X, well, the first appearances slash origins of the X-Men, uh, Iron Man, Nick Fury, the Avengers, which is kind of a little bit of a cheat having the Avengers in there, but okay. Daredevil, um, as I've already mentioned, uh, Nick Fury. The Watcher, that one seems like really kind of out of left field. Uh, <laughs> and The Silver Surfer. Now, one of the weird things is it's got another beautiful painted cover by John Romita of all the characters standing here. It features the Scarlet Witch, who does not yeah. appear in this book. No, her first appearance wasn't until uh, X-Men number four, so she's not in the X-Men story. Yeah, so I don't know why. I guess uh, maybe they decided at the last minute to drop that story or something. Cause, and this, this differs a little bit from the Origins book in that it does not feature every character getting a later story. You know, like this just reprints X-Men number one and no later X-Men issue. So it, it's, Yeah, I think the only one that got two stories, there was Iron Man. It had uh, his initial appearance there in Tales of Suspense number 39 and also his uh, adventure where he uh, squares off against Whiplash. I think that's Whiplash's first appearance. That's Tales of Suspense number 97. And then uh, see, it was the other Daredevil. He had the origin of Daredevil from Daredevil number one and then Brother Take My Hand from Daredevil number 47. That's a which great was story. nice that they yeah. included that one with uh, some gorgeous Gene Colan art who yeah. also did uh, also did the art on the, the coming of Whiplash story from Tales of Suspense 97 there. So two colon uh, stories in this one. It's funny when you think about how, uh, like when Iron Man, the Iron Man movie came out, I would argue that most people that went and saw that movie had no idea that Iron Man was even a comic book character. I don't think Iron Man was not particularly famous. Now he is. But no. I think I think at the time, the average moviegoer probably just thought, oh, it's a superhero movie with Robert Downey Jr. as Iron as a guy named Iron Man. Okay. And they didn't know that it was a comic book because Iron Man, I don't think it really permeated the popular culture um now yeah, i would probably agree with that and yeah. i would say at that at that time you'd probably pissed off most comic fans too with the civil war he certainly dropped down a few notches in my book after that yeah but, uh, well i mean it's 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 sort of funny though when you think about this book as you mentioned it reprints iron man you know the first prince environment and then a later appearance featuring whiplash which is the movie the guy from the iron man 2 it's like this book yep. almost seems precognitive that it figures out you know the, hey let's present the movie version of iron man let's show the villain and we'll show the origin story. Um, one of the th- another thing that, that makes me laugh is that like the Watcher does not belong in this book. No, I, I wonder if they just did that because I think the the Watcher story in here is the backup feature from the the first issue of Silver Surfer there. And so I wonder if they just reprinted the whole issue. I, I get the sense that the Watcher is like one of Stanley's favorites, and I yeah. think I think maybe Stan kind of like you know, pulled some weight. <laughs> He's like, let's put the watcher in here. It's like, this is a guy that's never even had his own. I mean, he had his own strip in the back of Silver Server for a couple of issues, but it, he's not, you would not even say he's a Marvel B level character. I think he's a no. Marvel like D level character. I mean, no offense well, to the watcher, but come on. Well, apparently he can, his Marvel event, but I guess, you know, when you do one every four months, you're running out of ideas and scraping <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. But, uh, I actually, I think, uh, just kind of the silver surfer and then, uh, the watcher tied into that is just something that's one of Stan's favorite characters. I know that even into the eighties, really, I think up until the, the Steve Englehart, uh, silver surfer series for, that started what 86 or something like that, mm-hmm. there was kind of a gentleman's agreement around the Marvel offices that, uh, 
anytime the silver had a solo adventure, he was the one writing it. John Byrne had put that on his uh, forum because when he had that, I think it was 1982, he did that Silver Surfer one shot where uh, Silver Surfer battles uh, Mephisto Mm. and Byrne plotted and uh, drew it, but Stan Lee scripted it. And that was the reason he said is you couldn't touch the silver without Stan kind of getting the final scripting duties on it. That's interesting. I don't think I knew that. Oh, that's interesting. It's a, it's on the, I've mentioned this before in various places, but like, you know, it's well known that like John Buscema did not like doing superheroes. I mean, in fact, he kind of hated it. And you look at some of the work here. Now, I don't know whether he considered Silver Surfer a superhero. He kind of is. He kind of isn't. But it's amazing how well, how beautiful John Buscema's work is when you think about probably a lot of time he didn't enjoy what he was doing. Oh, that, yeah. that is, that is, I mean, he, I think John Buscema would have been happy if he just could, could have done Conan his whole life. Yeah. Um, the, uh, that's so his silver surfer art is just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I have the, yeah. uh, IDW put out a silver surfer artist edition, uh, by Bushima like last December, I picked that up and oh my God, that was, that was the first artist edition I bought. And oh my gosh, that thing is just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, to see it's, it on that full size format and just see, you know, the original like notes penciled in the margin and everything. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the professionalism that that shows, you know, that he gave is, I mean, especially he said he did the Avengers for many years. I, I would imagine drawing the Avengers was a, a tough job, no matter, even if you loved it, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm, they've talked about George Perez, you know, loved to do those books, but even he would get tired of drawing, you know, 10 characters in every panel. And I'm like, imagine if you hated this stuff and you thought it was stupid, that, <laughs> that had to be torture. It had to absolutely yeah. be torture. But yeah, this is a re- and it's a really so. I mean, ultimately, Son of Origins is a really solid collection. I mean, it does suffer a little bit from just the lack of a primacy in terms of these. You know, these are these are kind of the slightly off-brand characters. Although it is funny to consider when you look at these two books collected, almost every single one of these characters has made it into a movie. Yep, which is unbelievable. You know, um, the only ones really are the Watcher and the Submariner, uh, which is. Startling to think about. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and two, I mean, these, even some of these that weren't necessarily the uh, top of the pile or top tier characters, these were still popular stories. Uh, actually, I think some of Marvel's first uh, annuals they put out were, I want to say, Marvel Tales annuals. And so, what we have 19 stories, I think, in these first two collections, and six of those were reprinted in the first two Marvel Tales annuals from 65 and 66. So um, a lot of the other stories at some point had been uh, reprinted in either uh, fantasy masterpieces or uh, collector's item classic as well. So these weren't – these were kind of time – tested proven favorites that were you know finally getting this like you mentioned earlier kind of legitimate treatment of being in a an actual book and not just reprinted in a another comic that was another way marvel never never lost a trick is that they they had at some point they had like six or seven regular monthly ongoing titles that were just reprint books yep you know they had marvel triple action and as you mentioned Clickter's item and Marvel. T- I mean, they were they really strip mine their own past. Yes, they pretty, did. Pretty uh, often. Double feature was another one that reprinted Captain Cap and uh, Iron Man stories from Tales of Suspense, but never the same one. I mean, you get like the uh, Iron Man from Tales of Suspense number ninety eight with the Cap story from Tales of Suspense number ninety one. <laughs> <laughs> together in an issue, she throw me nuts. <laughs> um, Gee, thanks, uh, guys. <laughs> yeah. Let's see, uh, there was a second volume of Tales to Astonish that's reprinted, uh, I think it was like the, the first 12 issues of the 1968 Submariner solo series. Was it Marvel Superheroes? I think that 
spun out of uh, fantasy masterpieces, and oh, right, that right, right, eventually right. became a, a Hulk reprint series. That's right. Let's see, collector's item classics. I think that was renamed Marvel's Greatest Comics, like around issue 22 or 23 of that, and that became kind of just a Fantastic Four reprint series. Which, between the, you know, the Marvel's Greatest Comics and its predecessor, there, collector's item classic, and then Marvel Triple Action, and then the, the Treasury edition reprints. I think they reprinted the entire uh, Lee and Kirby run of Fantastic Four there in the late 60s through the 70s. That all saw a second printing in those ongoing series. Yeah, I think I used to get Marvel superheroes because I loved reading those old Hulk stories. And again, at the time, that stuff wasn't accessible. You yeah. know, like it was just gone. So. Yeah. Now, did you have Son of Origins as a, a at any point? No, I, that's one I'm still missing. I to freshen up on it. I went and uh, checked it out from the library again. They still have it. So uh, <laughs> there was a, an auction ending tonight that I got sniped. I wasn't paying attention. Oh no! Ended yeah, <laughs> last minute, and I was like, ah, crap. But uh, uh, this one I don't have, and then the uh, the women one I don't have. But there's an auction ending. Uh, Tomorrow or Saturday that I got my eye on. Oh, okay. All hoping right. to get that one. So, if, if any of you are listening to this and you're thinking, well, the action will be over by the time you hear this, but don't yep. snipe. Let let, let, yep. let let Kyle get it. Yes, I, I hope I can uh, have good news there in the comments section that <laughs> I secured my copy of it. <laughs> yeah, you can get uh, the. These are. Some of them get a little pricey. Uh, there's one called the Marvel's Greatest Superhero Battles, which yes, has, a be- is... has a beautiful cover of Hulk and Thing about the. Beat the crap out of each other. I've never been able to find that for anything less than fifty bucks, and uh, I'm not I'm not paying fifty bucks for it. Now I've been able to find most of these other ones for twenty. They're in pretty, they're you know they're pretty beat up, but they're solid, you know. Yeah. And there's st- so and th- th- that's kind of like my limit. I'm like twenty bucks is pretty much exactly where I want to pay. But for some reason, the Marvel's Greatest Battles ones is never less than fifty. That must have been I don't know scarcer or something like that. Yeah, no, that one's been uh, hard for me to track down. That one. I've bid on a few that I've even gone up as high as 45 or 50 and I've seen them get up in the 80 to a hundred dollar range. Ouch. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah. I have pretty much uh, all the uh, solo ones like the, the Hulk, the silver surfer, the amazing Spider-Man, the fantastic four, right. and the captain America one. I'm, I'm missing the doctor strange solo one, but uh, there was a the activity. Doctor- wait, ones a go Hold really on. high wait a minute. Too. Wait a minute. Back up. There was a doctor strange one. Yep, that was the the second to last one. So oh, I'm looking at it right here. You're right. Oh my! Oh, I gotta get that. That would have came out like uh, October '79, I think. Yeah, and then the, the Captain America one came out right after it. Oh my God! I didn't even know that. I looked at this page and said I must have just missed that entirely. Oh, bo- oh, let's wrap this up. I gotta go off to eBay. Hold on. That, uh, that one is hard to find. Oh, is that's it? Why oh I don't man! Have it yet. Oh, all right. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. That had to have been because Doctor Strange got a TV move. That had to have been because yeah. he was never that big of a seller in the comic so he's pretty well represented in this series yeah geez I, again I, that's another so that might be another one stan has a real fondness for that i was about to say i get the feeling stan lee sort of pushed for that one because he just personally really likes dr strange that's really huh that's amazing all right huh all right uh well anyway the next book we're going to talk about is uh bring on the bad guys uh, which, you know, I mean, you've done two collections of Hero Origins. Why not do a villain's book, you know? Um, and this features yet another great painted cover by John Romita. It's got Dr. Doom, Mephisto, Duramu, Loki, Red Skull, Green Goblin, and the Abomination all, uh, you know, standing in the camera and looking all menacing. So it's super cool. And they, they kind of look like the lighting is a little grimmer. It's clearly like in, in it's dark. So it kind of looks like they're in like hell or something. It's got, it's got that sort of feeling to it. Yes. 
this is this is my favorite of the bunch. Yeah. And uh, this would have been the the first one I remember picking up from the library when I set about to start buying these. This was the first one I bought. I actually wrote a really in-depth, long, super long article uh, for the Outhousers site probably three, four years ago now. They're the ones that keep the has DC done something oh, right. stupid yeah. lately. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, when I wrote that and submitted it, it was something like eight pages long, single spaced. <laughs> I absolutely love this one, which is funny because the uh, Silver Surfer Mephisto story just scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Scared just terrified me as a kid. I mean, the that he was supposed to be a, a devil analog certainly wasn't lost on me. And so I'd read it and get terrified and a week later check it out and read it and get terrified again. <laughs> the art is so good, you just can't not read it. And so... This one was, I mean, all of these, but uh, especially this one, was definitely my intro into the larger Marvel Universe. Uh, I inherited a ton of comics when I was little. Those are the first things I ever read. A lot of Fantastic Four and Hulk from the mid-70s to the, the mid-80s. But uh, those books were, for the most part, fairly self-contained or featured really like D-League D uh, guest stars and stuff. So this was really kind of what opened my eye to the broader Marvel Universe was this book. And so it's still my favorite. One of the changes they made editorially with the Bring on the Bad Guys is instead of reprinting the covers, they started running pinups uh, yep. to lead off the story, which even as a kid drove me nuts because I like to know what issues these are from. And there is no no there is no there is citation as to where these are. I mean, occasionally Stan will mention it in one of the intros. But otherwise, you don't. You have no idea where this is from, and I, I, I didn't like that. I'm like, run the cover. What's wrong with running the cover? I mean, I guess maybe for some of these, if the villain isn't on the cover, they didn't want to run it because maybe. But I don't know. I just it's, yeah, to, me, to me, it feels like the story's incomplete without the cover. I really wonder if that's the case because uh, I mean, we got Doctor Doom, which both of those stories are from Fantastic Four. One's from his first appearance there in Fantastic Four number five. The other one's from uh, his origin, which was in the the second Fantastic Four annual. The next one, we have the Dread Dormammu, so another Doctor Strange. No one nowadays probably knows who Dormammu is, but I thought he was a super awesome major <laughs> Marvel uh, he look He looks awesome. Villain, it's great visual. Uh, from this. Yeah, and this was just, I love these Dormammu stories. They're probably my favorite in here, honestly, because uh, Steve Ditko's art is just at an all-time high here. I mean, if you look at the... Doctor Strange stories from the, the first collection and then look at him here. Just totally different. You've really seen him just flesh out his kind of visual magic style. And by, by this point, he's gotten more uh, higher page count to work with. And the art is just fantastic. Um, but, uh, you know, those coming from Strange Tales, so many of these are from anthology books that, you know, I wonder if you wouldn't even had Doctor Strange or Dormammu any mention of them on the cover. I mean, you would have had like the little text box, but they probably wouldn't have been featured. The same yeah. probably goes with the next are our Loki and both of those are backup stories. Yeah, from the uh, Tales of Asgard backups, yeah. And so he probably wasn't on the cover and then the the Red Skull, he's got three tales from or three stories from the Tales of Suspense number sixty six through sixty eight. Typically uh, those covers kind of rotated feature, so one month would be Iron Man was the focal point, the next one Captain America, so that could be potentially be one where you have two Iron Man covers. And then the, I know at least one of Abomination's uh, appearances that are published here, it's his first two. I know he had a cover spot on one of those, but I don't think he did on the first one, so I don't know, maybe that's why. Yeah, but. no, I bet you're right. I bet, you're, I bet that's exactly what it is. Um, you really mentioned the Abomination, because this does, as you mentioned, this reprints one of the uh, stories, and this is the brief time that Gil Kane drew the Hulk. 
And yeah, I man, think these were the only two times he actually ever did like a Hulk solo. Series, oh man, did I story. did I love Gil Kane doing the oh, Hulk? Yeah. He did yeah, his Hulk is fantastic. Job. Oh my so god, so underrated. His uh, Abomination, <laughs> not so much. It gives you a, really kind of looks like a Fing Fang Foom. Yeah, he does. Or yeah, he's got a very kind of Asian dragon uh, influence to him. But man, his Hulk is just fantastic. Yeah, he, I really wish he did more Hulk work. He gives him a kind of like flat toppy head, and just he really conveys the sort of like bulk of the character. I mean, there's a great panel here. We're printed in this story where the Hulk gets knocked out. And by the abomination, and a bunch of soldiers have to carry him off. And there's like eight guys. It takes like eight guys to do it. And the Hulk is just draped over them. And it's just like you really get that feeling of like how massive this guy is. I mean, yeah, Gil. That's a, I, I'm I'm amazed that uh, that Gil Kane. I don't know. That, I don't know. Maybe Gil Kane didn't want to do it anymore or something. But like, it, or maybe he left it before they had a chance for the mail to come in. But oh boy, I. I I would would have I would have kept him on that for a long time because I thought he did such a great yeah, job. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else he would have been doing at this time because this would have been '67. He uh, he just did these two and then jumped off it, which you know I'm trying to think. It wasn't till like around '89 or '90 before he took over Spider-Man, which would have been something like you know 1972 or '71 of that title. So I'm not really sure what what he would have done at marvel after this that yeah. he couldn't have come back for the hulk but it's, it's really too bad he did do a ton of covers uh yeah, i mean did. i don't think i mean that wasn't that that wasn't i'm sure that wasn't what it was because back then you know they just didn't really have cover artists i mean kane was doing insights but yeah it is uh, these were reprinted in that pocketbook edition that i mentioned and i remember just thinking like even as a kid i was like man th- these are beautiful like these are really sharp and you know i always assumed that like more hulk looked like that and you're like no 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 very brief run and then he was gone not that marie severin who followed him didn't do a great job but oh, yeah, yeah. go kane stuff. man really good stuff so uh and then so finally the last book we're going to talk about is the superhero women uh also by stanley it's kind of funny how stanley gets his name on these books and nobody else uh all the artists which is really funny because this one uh I think he only has, what, uh, six of the ten stories? This, I mean, this is the first collection that doesn't have stories that were all written by Stan or had Stan uh, have some sort of scripting in it. There, there were a couple of the Thor stories, I think, that had uh, uh, Larry Lieber, his brother, uh, right. was the plotter, and Stan was the scripter on. But there's ones in here where he's not involved at all. And it's also the, the only collection that features any uh, stories from the 1970s. That's right. That's right. There's only three in here that are actually from the 60s where all the other stories in the first three volumes have been from. Marvel's heyday, sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. The, the collection here is very strange when you go back and look at it. It's the, you've got stories featuring Medusa, Red Sonja. Uh, that makes – I mean, Red Sonja makes sense. The Invisible Girl, Miss Marvel. Gila or Hel- Yeah, uh, Hera or Gila. No, Gila. I'm sorry. Yeah, Gila. From Thor, which was like, huh? You know, like, yeah, was that really that big of a one of the cover spots, too, and it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the cat, who later became Hellcat, which in the intro, uh, Stan even admits was basically a giant failure uh, <laughs> on sales-wise. The which, at this point, she should have been one of the staple members of, I think, the Defenders already yes, by this time. I think she right. would already came back in the Avengers and then jumped over to the Defenders title by this time, which I think I think this one came out in late 1977. So if I'm remembering right, she would have been in the Defenders by this point. Yeah. It's also got Wasp, Shanna the She-Devil, the Black Widow, and then uh, the most head-scratcher one of all, Lyra the Femazon. <laughs> 
Yeah. Which was from, from uh, Savage Tales. From <laughs> Savage Tales number one, which was reprinted in black and white. Uh, and I mean, it's it's a beautiful book because uh, it was all done in washes by John Romita, so it looks gorgeous. But it is like like that. I don't know that that's that's a completely out of left field pick, you know. Uh, and it's, especially since it's a feature they never did again. But I just love the I love that you've got all these sort of mainstream Marvel female characters, and then Lyra the Femazon just stuck in the middle of the book. Yeah, some some odd choices there that I'm. S- Kind of surprised they had ten different you know characters featured. Why they didn't you know maybe stick with Medusa, Red Sonia, Sue Storm, Miss Marvel, the Wasp, and you know Black Widow, and give them a you know a couple of stories like uh, the past collections. But yeah, and you know some of the ones they they picked to reprint as well. Just odd choices it seemed like. Kind of surprised they didn't do Medusa's first appearance as the a member of the Frightful Four. Yeah, that's a, that's a very it's a really funny story. She basically shows up to New York and gets drawn into becoming a commercial spokeswoman for a hair product, uh, and uh, then you know gets into a fight with Spider Man, of course. And again, there's no X Men here, uh, yeah. no Scarlet Witch, no Marvel Girl. I mean, again, if you if they had put this, put this book out just a couple of years later, this would have been you know Scar- Scarlet Witch, Storm. I mean, it would have just been, you know, uh, X-Men yeah. left and right, but... Uh, well, yeah, I guess at the, the time they would have been collecting this or getting this ready to be collected and run off to the printer, I think X-Men was still in its, you know, bi-monthly schedule. I don't think they went monthly until Burn came on with 109, which I want to say was 78 or late 77, so... I Somewhere mean, hadn't there, even yeah. hadn't even gotten the popularity yet to become a, a monthly title again. Another thing that's odd is the the Miss Marvel story and Red Sonia stories are both from 1976, so they're only about a year old at this point and already be being touted highly enough, I guess, to be included in this collection. Yeah, the Red Sonia story is by Bruce Jones and Frank Thorne, and Frank Thorne was, is one of my all time favorite artists. I remember being a kid and reading his Red Sonia stuff and thinking, like, am I allowed to look at this stuff? Yeah. It's like just the way he draws. There, I mean, there's obviously no nudity in these stories because it's a Marvel comic code proof. But just the way he draws is sort of so salacious that you just feel like you're getting something a little more than you actually are getting. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, his Red Sony is one of the like. I mean, I I, I guess since, since he's not here, I should say it. She's hot. I mean, it just Frank, Frank Thorne's Red Sony is one of the hottest women ever depicted in a mar- in any comic book ever, and it is sort of amazing that just he got code approved at all. Yeah, well, that's what. Uh, then they they have the Shannon the She Devil story, which was from Shannon the She Devil number two. That would also been a code approved book. Um, but uh, have you ever? You picked up some of the the Hulk magazine. It was started as Rampaging Hulk and then just changed to Hulk. It was Hulk, called, yeah. I think, with issue ten or eleven. At least a couple of those had uh, Shane of the She Devil backup stories. Yes, that were just by uh, Tony DiZaniga. Mm-hmm. Those are another one in the same vein. I mean, different art style, but whoa, those! I remember coming across those at a young age and being blown away by uh, Shane and those. So. Plus they're they're both redheads, so yeah, as Shag would say, they're hot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just that. It's it's just that. It's beautiful. And the Red Sony story, she meets this person who can turn people to stone, and it's a whole. It's a really great story. I mean, again, I think they knew what they had, and and I'm sure at that point, I mean, the the Conan comics were selling really well, so I guess they wanted to get you know a Conan related thing in there, which is sort of funny again now that I think about it. That uh, maybe it was a legal thing, or maybe not. But like, there's no Conan. 
yeah. in these books. I mean, Red Sonia wasn't owned by Marvel. Red Sonia is a is a you know Robert E. Howard licensed character, so you wonder why they couldn't stick a Conan story in. She's a touchy one because she's a kind of a derivative character, but still somewhat original, which is why. Dynamite has her publishing rights now instead of uh, Dark Horse that has the rest of the Robert E. Howard ones. Oh, really? Because, is that why it is? Oh, cool. Yes, because Red Sonia isn't technically a – the original character is spelled Y-A instead of J-A. And she was actually a character, I want to say, uh, from Solomon Kane type stories, I want to say. Oh, I don't wow. think she was set in the uh, – and so, I mean, what's really weird about uh, – a lot of those books, or those kind of Robert E. Howard titles is, I mean, Conan was the most popular one, but a lot of those Conan stories are inspired or adapted by King Cole stories or even Solomon Kane, which were, you know, 16, 15 or 1600 Puritan type swashbuckling, kind of like a Puritan hunting down monsters type right, stories. Right, right, right. And uh, Thomas adapted those into uh, Conan type stories, which is funny then because I believe he wrote the Cole title at least for a while too. So <laughs> you have him adapting the same Cole stories in Cole that he ad- also adapted in Conan. And so he kind of pulled elements from other Robert E. Howard creations. And because of that, I think she's kind of considered a derivative character, but enough of original that she's her own thing because she was plucked from her normal setting, enhanced, and then I guess kind of read done in the in the Conan universe so she's a bit of an oddity there but yeah I am really surprised with how well Conan sold that he's not represented in any of these titles which uh, I guess up to this point all the titles have just reprinted stories from the 60s before he debuted there in 1970 at Marvel so um, maybe that's it Uh, I wonder if they threw her in here to build a little bit on the at this time, the, the Conan movie would have been being prepped to make, I think. I want to say that was 1978 when that came out. Uh, 80. 80. 80. Oh, it was that late. I was thinking 80 was the sequel. It must have been 80 and 81. Or 80 and 82 then. For <laughs> that, that, that terrible. Rated R Conan that, to that, PG Conan. That terrible, terrible sequel. Yeah, I just looked at the uh, copyright page of Superhero Women, and there is no notation about Red Sonja. There is no like, you know, oh, she's copyright tones. It all just says copyright Marvel Comics. So I don't know. So what I wonder the... if then if Roy Thomas has some sort of ownership on her because uh, initially when Marvel went bankrupt and started, you know, selling that stuff off, I mean, Dark Horse snatched up Conan and she kind of went to Dynamite or bounced around and he wrote a lot of her early stories then when hmm. uh, Dynamite was publishing them. So I wonder if he has some sort of creator stake in her at all or not. Hmm. Next time I'm in a comic store, I'll have to look up a Red Sony comic and just look at the copyright and see what it says. You know, it's got to because they always have to stay, list all that stuff now. So uh, let me check here. Here we go. New oh. Red Sonia ongoing number one. Let's see if it says anything. Nope, I don't see any uh, Red Sonia copyright of anything here. Hmm. Well, now we're gonna have to look into this. This will be a whole another episode about Red Sonia or something. Really... I'm sure Frank will go on like a ten minute rant about how stupid we are for not knowing this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, so anyway, those are the four books. Those are the, we're just going to move off from that. Uh, those, are the, those are the four books, the Fireside books, The Origins of Marvel Comics, Son of Origins, Bring on the Bad Guys, and Superhero Women. These are all, they're really fun. You can said you can pick them up. If you're willing to deal with some books in not perfect condition, you can find them on eBay at a fairly reasonable rate, and they are 
really enjoyable and especially like if you have like a again a, like a youngster in your life who wants to like read Marvel comics and get them this these are sort of perfect they're they're very durable these books I mean I said the ones I have are the copies I'm sitting here I'm, I'm owning are 40 years old at this point and they're all in really good shape so they're really really nice handsome books and they look nice on your bookshelf and uh, they're very charming and they sort of you know giving us a nice overview of the the history of Marvel comics to that point um I called this episode part one because I certainly hope to have Kyle back to talk about another set of these because there are some other really fun collections. And now I know that there's a Doctor Strange. I really want to get that one. So I hope that uh, we will we will plan to do a second one. I hope everyone likes this one. Kyle, is there anything else you wanted to say before we sign off talking about these Fireside books? Anytime you want to have me back to talk about these some more, I'm totally on board. I absolutely love these collections. Yeah, I had a bunch of the other ones. I had the Captain America one. I remember that. And I had the Hulk one, certainly. So I want to go dig some of these out again and and find them because they are really enjoyable. So uh, we will post the covers to these. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't – I mean the insides are pretty much all just – uh, you know, the reprints of the various comics, but we'll post the covers on these on the Tumblr, which is firewater, firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, if you want to email the show, it's firewaterpodcast.conquest.net, and the blog is firewaterpodcast.blogspot.com. And people, uh, oh, Kyle, where can people find you on the interwebs? I have four uh, podcasts that come out <laughs> at very erratic schedules. They're all on the same feed, so you can just go find that at king size comics giant size fun that's all one word at our dot blogspot.com so king size comics giant size fun dot blogspot.com and there i talk about giant size comics random comics free comics and probably my most popular show that i have not put out many episodes yet at this point is the uh, crisis on multiple earths podcast where i'm covering the jla jsa team-ups and then uh, aside from that uh, ryan daly aaron head moss and i I've uh, started a G.I. Joe Real American Headcast. Uh, we've already <laughs> recorded two episodes of that. That'll be going up on uh, Aaron Moss's uh, feed uh, at some point. Uh, I think uh, it'll be uh, next month uh, when the first episode of that drops. But we've already recorded the first two episodes, so that will be coming soon. Very cool. Very cool. Keeping busy, man. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, said that's going to wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed this look back and go, go go see if you can find some of these books on eBay. They're really they're really worth it and they're a lot of fun. So until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair stand for truth and justice and see on land and air firestorm and aquaman they make a super pair aquaman and firestorm super friends forever yeah Thank you.